From Astoria to the Rockaways, it's time for the Queen's New Yorker. And here is the man giving you all the info, your uber snazzy and jazzy host, Mr. Jason Gaccanio! Yeah! Merry Christmas! <laughs> Thank you! Oh, what a group. Thank you, Jason Kelly. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Wow. Oh, yeah. I love it. Thank you. And welcome to the Christmas edition of the Queen's New Yorker on this December 25th, 2023. It's episode 244, and we thank you so much for this special Christmas night edition of the show, where we're going to be now, we finished up, as you know, with the radio stations, now we're going to be moving into the television stations, oh yes, the TV stations of the five boroughs, and we have a lot to cover in the next few weeks, so it should be fun, they're going to be long parts too, because they got a lot of history to go with them. So tonight we're going to be looking at the history of Channel 2. That's Channel 2 on your dial. WCBS-TV. There we go. You got it. Yes. That's what we're going to be looking at. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. What fitting way, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh. So as we begin this last week of 2023, I just want to say a very Merry Christmas to all of you. And next week on our show, of course, is the New Year's programs. We start with the New Year's Day celebration. And, you know, this is, of course, our ninth season on the show. We're a little behind, but we're going to, like I said, we were deciding on what we were really trying to focus on this in this ninth season. But uh, the, the issue here is, is go back to the beginning, look at us on YouTube, follow us on Spotify. If you would like to get all the back episodes that you possibly can, you can't get enough of the Queens New Yorker. A lot of people have asked me, how did you make the, the logo today? Well, I used Canva. I used that's right. Canva has been our friend for a long time, and uh, without it, we pretty much cannot make these logos anymore. So what I just did was took a wreath of the simplicity of it and put them around the circles. Now with the hexagon, it was a little bit different, but I stretched it out as best I possibly can. But it looks fantastic the way it just kind of just looks like it's just sitting on there, and it's uh, kind of interfered with the circle of the one underneath it. But that's okay. A wreath. Several wreaths going on itself at there makes for some fantastic looking things. And the snow, well, that's all GIF, folks. That's a that's a animation of snow, as it is snowing in New York. You know, probably not yet, but hey, we got it here on the Queens New Yorker for you. We're gonna indeed have it. Of course, all of our endings tonight will be on uh, Christmas um, music. 
We'll open the show, which, of course, Jason Kelly's announcement of welcoming you to the show. But for this week, we will have fantastic Christmas songs to close out our show. But right now, we're going to be looking at the uh, the history of WCBS-TV, Channel 2. As you know, Channel 2 News. Uh, it's a television station in New York City serving as the flagship of the CBS network. It is owned and operated by the network's CBS News and Stations division alongside Riverhead New York, licensed independent station WLNY-TV, Channel 55. And both stations share studios within the CBS Broadcasting Center on West 57th Street in Midtown Manhattan, while WCBS's TV's transmitter is located at One World Trade Center. Now, WCBS-TV's history dates back to CBS's opening of experimental station W2XAB on July 21st, 1931, using the mechanical television system that had been more or less perfected in the late 1920s. Its first broadcast featured New York Mayor Jimmy Walker, Kate Smith, and George Gershwin. The station had the regular had the first regular seven-day broadcasting schedule in American television, broadcasting 28 hours a week. Among its early programming were Harriet Lee in 1931, The Television Ghost from 31 to 33, Helen Haynes from 31 to 32, and Piano Lessons from 31 to 32. Now, because W2XAB was broadcasting its video on 2750 KC, and audio separately on W2XE at 6,120 KC in the shortwave band in 1931, while the experimental station signal could be received in nearby states beyond the New York metropolitan area as far away as Boston and Baltimore. In Allentown, Pennsylvania, some 80 miles distant, the local newspaper even listed W2AXAB's daily program schedules, for example, as did the Ithaca Journal in upstate New York, 175 miles northwest. Announcer-director Bill Shudd was the station's only paid employee. All the staff were volunteers. W2XAB pioneered program development, including small-scale dramatic acts, monologues, pantomime, and the use of projection slides to simulate sets. Engineer Bill Lodge devised the first synchronized sound wave for a television station in 1932, enabling W2XAB to broadcast picture and sound on a single shortwave channel instead of the two previously needed. On November 8, 1932, W2XAB broadcast the first television coverage of presidential election returns. The station suspended operations on February 20, 1933, as monochrome television transmission standards were in flux and in the process of changing from the limited mechanical operation to an all-electronic system. W2XAB returned with an all-electronic system in 1939 from a new studio complex in Grand Central Station and a transmitter located at the Chrysler Building broadcasting on Channel 2. W2XAB transmitted the first color broadcast in the United States on August 28, 1940, although it was not black and white compatible. On June 24, 1941, W2XAB received a commercial construction permit and program authorization as WCBW. The station went on the air at 2.30 p.m. on July 1st, one hour after rival WNBT, Channel 1, formerly W2XBS. 
making it the second authorized fully commercial commercial television station in the United States. The FCC issued permits to CBS and NBC at the same time and intended WNBT and WCBW to sign on simultaneously on July 1st so no one station could claim to be the first. WCBW's initial broadcast was the first local newscast aired on a commercial station in the country. Its assigned frequency was 60 to 60 megahertz, now known as Channel 3, but then referred to as Channel 2 in the 1940 to 46 alignment of the VHF band. Program schedules were, <clears throat> were irregular through the summer and early fall of 1941. Regular daily operations began on October 29th, and WCBW received a full broadcast license. Its construction permit and commercial program authorization on March 10, 1942. After the war, the FCC reallocated the television and FM bands. WCBW closed down its operation on the old Channel 2 at the end of February 1946. The 60-66 to megahertz band had been reallocated to WPTZ in Philadelphia <coughs> as Channel 3 in order to move to a new Channel 2 at 54-60 to megahertz. It quickly became operation. It began operation on the new frequency where it remained from the spring of 1946 for the next 63 years until the end of analog full power television service in the late spring of 2009. After the FCC allowed television stations owned by radio stations in the same city to use the same call letters as the radio station with the suffix TV, the call letters were changed to WCBS TV on November 1st, 1946. The change coincided with the renaming of CBS's New York radio stations, WABC 880 AM and WABC FM 101.1, as WCBS and WCBS FM. February 26, 1951, WCBS TV became the first station to broadcast a regularly scheduled featured film series, The Late Show. On August 11, 1951, WCBS-TV broadcast the first baseball game on color television between the Brooklyn Dodgers and Boston Braves from Ebbets Field. As were all color programs at the time, it was transmitted via a field sequential color system developed by CBS. Signals transmitted this way could not be seen on existing black and white sets. The CBS color system was scrapped after the FCC embraced the alternative RCA all-electronic dot sequential system, which was fully compatible with the existing monochrome television standard late in 1953. However, CBS telecast few programs in color, either locally or through the network, until the mid-1960s when color television sets became more affordable to the American public. May of 1997, the station adopted the CBS2 branding along with sister stations KCBS-TV in Los Angeles and WBBM-TV in Chicago while retaining a unique and distinctive logo. WCBS-TV's over-the-air signal was not affected by the September 11th terrorist attacks that destroyed the World Trade Center. Unlike its competitors, Channel 2 had long maintained a full-powered backup transmitter at the Empire State Building after moving its main transmitter to the North Tower of the then-new World Trade Center in 1975. The station's coverage of the attacks was also simulcast nationally on Viacom, which owned CBS at the time, cable network VH1 that day. In the immediate aftermath of the attacks, WCBS-TV was briefly the only full coverage over-the-air television service operating in New York City, although the station lent transmission time to other stations who had lost their transmitters until they found suitable backup equipment and locations. 
The backup transmitter had been put into operation once before when the World Trade Center bombing of February 26, 1993 knocked most of the area's stations off of the air for a week. When WCBS-TV discontinued regular programming on its analog signal over VHF Channel 2 at 2 p.m. on June 12, 2009, as part of the federally mandated transition from analog to digital television, the station moved its digital signal from its pre-transition UHF Channel 56, which was among the high-band UHF channels, you know, 52 to 69, that were removed from broadcasting use as a result of the transition to Channel 33, using PSIP to display WCBS-TV's virtual channel as two on digital television receivers. Since the station qualified for the nightlight clause in the DTV Delay Act, WCBS kept its analog signal on for one month to provide public service announcements starting at 3 p.m. on June 12th and permanently shutting it down during the early morning hours of July 13, 2009. This possibly made it the last full-power NTSC uh, broadcast television station in the United States to discontinue analog transmissions. Digital Subchannel 2.2, branded as CBS New York Plus, was launched in November of 2011 as a 24-hour news channel, drawing upon the resources of WCBS-TV, WCBS Radio 880, Winds 1010, WFAN 660. The Plus service was eventually planned to be rolled out to CBS's other owned and operated stations, but only WCBS and KYTV in Philadelphia added Plus Channel services. Then on December 12, 2011, CBS television stations announced its intent to purchase Riverhead New York licensed WLNY-TV Channel 55, later announced for a purchase price of $55 million, creating a duopoly with WCBS-TV. The company announced that it would add additional on-air staff and expand WLNY's local news programming. At the time, that station had only an 11 p.m. newscast. The FCC approved the sale on January 31, 2012, and CBS took control of the station on March 30th. WLNY suspended its own news operations the previous day and began airing WCBS-TV-produced newscast on July 2nd of 2012. WCBS-TV, as of February 2012, had a construction permit for a digital fill-in translator on Channel 22 to be licensed to Plainville, New York, which would serve portions of eastern and central Long Island, where WCBS-TV's signal is affected by the presence of WFSB, a CBS affiliate in Hartford, Connecticut, which also broadcasts on Channel 33. In 2016, CBS-TV returns to transmitting from One World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan. October 24, 2014, CBS and YGL Broadcasting announced the launch of a new digital subchannel service called Decades. Scheduled to launch on all CBS-owned stations on May 25, 2015, including on WCBS-TV on Channel 2.2. <clears throat> the channel is co-owned by CBS and YGEL, or YGEL, owner of, of CBS affiliate WDJ-TV in Milwaukee, with YGEL being responsible for distribution to non-CBS-owned stations. It airs programs for the extensive library of CBS television distribution, now CBS Media Ventures, including archival footage from CBS News. On September 3, 2018, Decades was replaced on 2.2 by Star TV. Decades returned to the New York market in October 2019 when it was added to WNYW Channel 5.5 as part of an agreement between YGEL and Fox television stations. 
As a result of the 2016-17 FCC Spectrum Incentive Auction, WCBS-TV moved its digital signal from Channel 33 to Channel 36 on August 1st of 2019. Then, December 12, 2018, CBS-TV, in cooperation with CBS Interactive, launched CBSN New York, a local version and partner of the CBSN service. CBS News New York can be accessed from cbsnewyork.com, cbsnews.com, and their respective mobile and streaming apps. Now, finally, on December 4, 2019, CBS Corporation and Viacom re-emerged. WCBS and WLNY therefore became part of Viacom CBS, now Paramount Global. Upon becoming commercial station WCBW in 1941, the station broadcast two daily news programs at 2.30 and 7.30, Weekdays, anchored by Richard Hubble. Most of the newscasts featured Hubble reading a script with only occasional cutaways to a map or still photograph. When Pearl Harbor was bombed on December 7, 1941, WCBW, which was usually off the air on Sunday to give the engineers a day off, took to the air at 8.45 p.m. that Sunday with an extensive special report. The national emergency even broke down the unspoken wall between CBS radio and television. WCBW executives convinced radio announcers and experts such as George Fielding, Elliott, and Linton Wells to come down to the Grand Central Station studios during the evening and give information and commentary on the attack. The WCBW special report that night lasted less than 90 minutes, but that special broadcast pushed the limits of live television in 1941 and opened up new possibilities for future broadcasts. As CBS wrote in a special report to the FCC, the unscheduled live news broadcast on December 7th was unquestionably the most simulating, stimulating challenge and marked the greatest advance of any single problem faced up to that time. Additional newscasts were scheduled in the early days of the war. In May of 1942, WCBW, like almost all television stations, sharply cut back its live program schedule and the newscasts were canceled. Uh, since the station temporarily suspended studio operations, resorting exclusively to the occasional broadcast of films. This was primarily due to the fact that much of the staff had either joined the service or were redeployed to war-related technical research and to prolong the life of the early, unstable cameras, which were now impossible to repair due to the wartime lack of parts. In May of 1944, as the war began to turn in favor of the Allies, WCBW re reopened the studios and the newscasts returned, briefly anchored by Ned Calmer and then by Everett Holes. After the war, expanded news programs appeared on the WCBW schedule, renamed WCBS-TV in 1946, first anchored by Milo Bolton and later by Douglas Edwards. May 3, 1948, Douglas Edwards began anchoring CBS Television News, a regular 15-minute nightly newscast on the rudimentary CBS network, including WCBS-TV. It aired every weeknight at 7.30 and was the first regularly scheduled network television news program featuring an anchor. The NBC Television Network's offering, at the time NBC Television Newsreel, premiering in February of 1948, was simply film with voice narration. In 1950, the name of the nightly news was changed to Douglas Edwards with the News, and the following year it became the first news program to be broadcast on both coasts thanks to a new coaxial cable connection, prompting Edwards to use the greeting, Good evening, everyone. Coast to coast. The broadcast was renamed the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite 
when Walter, Walter Cronkite replaced Edwards in 1962. Edwards remained with CBS News with various daytime television newscasts and radio news broadcasts until his retirement on April 1, 1988. In the 1950s through the mid-60s, WCBS's TV, TV's local newscasts were anchored by CBS News correspondents Robert Trout at 7 p.m. and by Don Hollenbach and later Douglas Edwards at 11. Beginning in 65, production of local news broadcasts on WCBS-TV and other CBS-owned television stations, which had been previously produced by CBS News, were taken over by the local stations. Trout and Edwards were succeeded by Jim Jensen, and Jensen had only come to WCBS-TV a year earlier. He had been at WBZ-TV in Boston, but was already well known for his coverage of Robert F. Kennedy's 1964 campaign for the United States Senate. During the 60s, WCBS-TV battled WNBC-TV Channel 4 for the top-rated news department in New York City. And after WABC-TV Channel 7 introduced Eyewitness News in the late 60s, CBS-TV went back and forth in first place with Channel 7 in a rivalry that continued through the 70s. For much of the early 80s, New York's big three stations took turns in the top spot. During this time, three of the longest tenured anchor teams in New York, Jensen and Roland Smith, WABC-TV's Roger Grimsby and Bill Butel, and WNBC-TV's Chuck Scarborough and Sue Simmons, went head-to-head with each other. January 25, 1982, WCBS-TV debuted its 5 p.m. weekday newscast. CBS-TV had many well-known personalities during this era. Anchors Dave Marosh, Rowan Smith, Michelle Mar- Marsh, and Vic Miles. Meteorologist Frank Field and John Coleman. Reporters Meredith Vieira, Randall Pinkston, Tony Gita, John Stossel, and Arnold Diaz. And sportscaster Warner Wolf. Let's go to the videotape. Vieira Pinkston and Guiada later moved to the CBS network. In 1988, controversy involving an exchange between Jim Jensen and co-anchor Bree Walker, whose fingers and toes are fused together as a result of the condition ectrodactylally. After Walker did a report about her experience with the condition, Jensen asked Walker on the air if her parents would have aborted her had they known she would have been born with the condition. Walker kept her composure on air, but soon left the station. The incident took place shortly before Jensen's entry to drug rehabilitation. As the 90s began, Channel 2 found itself increasingly losing its ratings share to WNBC. On August 31st, 1992, Channel 2 debuted its one-hour weekday morning newscast this time with the anchor team of Maury Alter and Lisa Randolph, Rudolph, Jay Charlize with traffic, and Craig Allen with the weather. In late 1994, Jensen was taken off the anchor desk and demoted to host of a Sunday morning public affairs shows, Sunday edition. He also hosted a few episodes of the regular sports update show on Sunday nights at 11.30 p.m. At the time, Jensen had served as an anchor longer than anyone in New York television history, he has since passed, been passed by WABC's TV's Butel and WNBC's Scarborough. In 1995, Jensen was forced to retire shortly after the Westinghouse Electric Corporation announced it was buying CBS. By the end of 1995, Channel 2's ratings were in last place for the first time in its history, while NBC's ratings had risen to second place, a pecking order that would remain in place for 11 years. The station's new branding change from Channel 2 News to Just 2 News during that time contributed to the station's last place finish in the February 1996 sweeps period. October 2, 1996. 
The station executed an unprecedented mass firing without any advance warning, citing the need to shake up its news operation. Seven people were fired. Actors, anchors Jim Johnson, uh, uh, John Johnson, sorry, Michelle Marsh and Tony Gita, sports anchor Bernie Smilovitz, who probably returned to his previous station, WDIV in Detroit, and reporters Reggie Harris, Roseanne Coletti, and Maggie Hickey. The firings came after the 6 p.m. newscast. Johnson and Marsh had anchored the 5 p.m. newscast and signed off at 6 saying, we'll see you at 11, but never got a chance to say goodbye on the air. The massacre, as it has come to be known, was part of a move enacted by then-news director Bill Carey to boost ratings, although it came at a time when CBS was under pressure to boost revenues, having just merged with Westinghouse. It was also part of a major reconstruction of the newscast, culminating in the May 1997 rebranding to News 2, two months prior. Warner Wolf had returned to the station, having left in 1992 for WUSA-TV, the CBS affiliate in Washington. We're going to stop right there and pick up on Wednesday with part two of this fantastic story of WCBS-TV Channel 2 News. <laughs> yes. All right. So, with all of that, we'll pick up with the second part. It's it's not that much on Wednesday, but we'll definitely go back to where we were there. And the massacre, mass firings, and format changes. We'll look at that. And on Wednesday's program, we'll look at CBS 2 News, partnership with the Weather Channel, personnel changes, improving in ratings, the new set, CBS TV Today, and sports programming. And that will conclude all of the on-air staff as well. We'll look at all of that on Wednesday. Well, folks... What can I say? Thank you for your continued support of the Queens, New Yorker for the last nine years. And we're going into 2024 with a fresh perspective on the, the television stations. we got a lot to cover on that. We'll hopefully get into the pizza uh, story of uh, the history of pizza more in depth because I know you know somewhat of it. We're going to give you some more uh, uh, new information as we look forward to it. But if there's anything you would like us to cover that we have not covered in nine years on this program, on ep- and this is the 244th episode with episode 245 coming this Wednesday, if there's anything that we've missed or there's something new you, you would like to see us cover over the course of this week and next week going into 2024, drop us a line, direct message me. Uh, I know that the Facebook groups are wondering to themselves, <laughs> what are we going to do? What are, what are we covering here? We have a lot to cover. Trust me there's still much more about the five boroughs and of course queens that we still don't know about and with that we have not covered things change constantly and new york and the five boroughs constantly change because it's a fast-paced borough and a city that never sleeps like frank sinatra always says well, tonight we looked at part one. Tomorrow on Wednesday we'll look at part two and hope that you will enjoy the rest of this. And then the next time when we get together on Friday we'll look at channel four 
which will be NBC. Should be fun. Definitely look forward to that. It's going to be exciting for the next couple weeks. How long it will take to cover all these TV stations? I don't know. Stay with us, though. It's going to be a great run going into 2024. From all of us here at the WJDC Studios in beautiful Vito, Florida, I'm Jason DiCanio. Remember to be honest, to be real, and to keep it simple, stupid. Yes. Yes. We'll see you on Wednesday. For now, enjoy the rest of your time on Christmas. From all of us here, I'm Jason DiCanio. Good night. (laughs) 